Hello and welcome to Business Without the podcast brought to you by Ori Clark, who have been giving you straight-talking financial and legal advice since 1935. How about that? My name is Dominic Frisby, and alongside me today is my co-host and partner at Ori Clark, Juliet Ori, who is on a mission to bring the fascinating business stories that the firm's clients are living to a wider audience with this podcast. Hello, Juliet. How are we doing? And I understand that our guest today is the one and only Nathan Makabuak. It is indeed. Now, Nate was born and bred in East London. Nathan's career path started during his gap year as an engineer at an automotive plant in Gloucestershire, which led him to eventually studying a master's degree in mechanical engineering at Imperial College London, after which he fell into the world of prosthetics, fueled by his nerd obsession with robotics and Iron Man, and developed a passion for wanting to make prosthetics more accessible and affordable for everyone. In 2020, Nate set up Koala, a virtual support service for people with limb differences around the world. We're in good company indeed. Welcome to the podcast, Nate. Thank you so much for having me. Inspired by Iron Man and robotics, (laughs) I told you, Juliet, before the podcast started, I know nothing about limbs, but I'll find a way of crowbarring in an interesting stat. And here we go. I once narrated a series of programs called Science of Star Wars. And it was all about... Speaking my language. Yeah. And one of the things I discovered in narrating that program was that NASA and and a lot of great scientists look to science fiction for inspiration. And it sounds like that happened with you. Oh, I could count myself among them. That's good. That I mean, there's so much fun stuff on TV. You just want to recreate it, don't you? I'd be lying if I didn't say I got into engineering because <laughs> of watching Iron Man films as a kid. And is this pre the Iron Man film? Because you're how old are you? Uh, 26. So, so are you talking about Iron Man, the comic book character, oh, or Iron no, Man? No, the movie. Yeah, the Robert Downey okay. Jr., my spirit animal. He's, um, yeah, literally, I, I remember I had uni interviews and they'd be like, why do you want to do engineering? And I'd have to bite my tongue and come up with some good answer. But the realistic thing is like, I want to build an Iron Man suit one day. And and, I it, and it's from watching that that's led you into... To, yeah, it's uh, just cool, yeah. I think I've always, always liked, um, you know, if this is me like putting a, a, a smart sounding spit on it, but like, I've always liked when products interface with the body. Like I like things you wear that are technology and stuff like that. And, and, and when you see films like that where they're literally wearing bits of gadgets that like extend down your arm and then it's functional at the same time, it's like, that's awesome. It's everything I love in one. So, I mean, why don't we talk about some of those products now? Because we have on the table in front of us two different prosthetic arms. And when I say prosthetic arms, I'm talking about from the elbow down. And then we've got the old school um, arm, which I'm going to say is made out of fiberglass. Is that right? It's fiberglass base, and then there's a carbon fiber wrap around the top, and you'll feel like it's it's like rigid. It's like fully rigid. It's very rigid. It's hard. It's also quite heavy. Yeah. And then there's a sort of plastic wrist. And then at the end of the plastic wrist is is a sort of hook or yeah. a pair of hooks actually, rubbish. which yeah. is a sort of when I say hook, it's like a like Captain Hook in um, in Peter Pan. It's that kind of old pirate hook. And you'd think that prosthetics would have moved on since <laughs> pirates of the eighteen hundreds or seventeen hundreds, but they don't appear to have. And then I'm swapping, and I'm now looking at your product, which is made out of 
Well, the the outer service almost feels like the the a sweatshirt. Yeah, it's going to say like a tracksuit, and then it. But there's padding underneath. It feels like padding, support, but it's yeah. it's flexible, almost like an ankle support or something like that. Like, yeah. like the sort of thing you put around your knee when you've injured your knee. And then in terms of the handle, there's a sort of plasticky wrist, and then the handle has got. What, what do you use as the handle? Would that so with the essentially the hook prosthetic? There's one hook on the end, and that's yeah. a modern day prosthetic. Yeah, I, I mean, if you had to guess, how much would you say that cost? Well, I know because there's so little demand, it's not like you can offset the cost with max production. <laughs> that's 100 true, and they're 100 bespoke those ones as well. well. I'm, uh, yeah, and I'm, I imagine some companies making them and then charging the NHS fortunes for it. So I'm going to guess fifty grand. I think 50 grand's a little steep, Dom. Yeah, I mean, it's extraordinary that I that mean, could cost I'd 50 say grand. 10 grand, 20 grand? 10 grand. Average the both. That specific arm is 25,000 pounds. But how long does that last? That's got to be changed regularly. So this is like an electronic prosthetic. So it's got like sensors in it and stuff. And they'll say the warranty is about five years before you change it. Realistically, so this is Alex's arm. He would get components changed anywhere between every month and every couple of weeks. Um, and you can imagine if your limb changes size at all, for example, like if you take it off, do some exercise and try and put it back on, you can't fit. So you need a new socket often, you know, every year or so. So you're changing them all the time. And every time you change it, another 25K, please, another 25K. And it's crazy. Whereas okay. this one that I've got now, instead of having one specific thing on the end, we just have like simple... Detachable. attachments. So, so what happened there is, is he took the wrist off the main body and slotted on and off. Because they clip on, you can just like clip back on. How much does yours cost? Depends on how many they need. So it depends on the person's needs. If they have two arms, lots of tools. But the maximum price is 800 quid. So you're charging for 800 <laughs> quid for something that previously cost 25 grand. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, and that's the, the most. That's the expensive price. So that's like us doing it in tiny volumes in our factory. Well, first of all, in our bedrooms last year, but we recently moved into a factory. Which Where's your nice. factory? Uh, Park Royal, West London. It's really nice. Okay. You come by. I know, come I, know I know, I know, I know. And, and you make money selling them at 800 quid? Yeah. So how much money must these guys be making if they're selling them for 25 grand? It's an important question. I wonder, I've always kind of assumed, been like, their margins must be... Fats. I just assumed like they must have awesome yachts. But, um, I do wonder because I've seen the process of what it takes to make that. The thing with ours is we make them like shoes, so we make lots of them in one go, and and they're flexible and they can. You know, that is the amount of labour that's poured into one device is quite high. So I wonder if they do make Are they crazy all margins. Yeah, it's the only way they can fit. Whereas yours isn't bespoke because ours is flexible. Yeah, so ours are not bespoke. Clever. <laughs> so clever. He's so clever. And how much lighter is yours? I'm going to say yours is about a fifth of weight. <laughs> Spot on. Yeah, it's literally a fifth. So that one there is like 990 grams, I think. And ours is uh, about just shy of 200. I think it's like 180. That's a kilo. Yeah. The, the, that's the old thing I'm lifting up here. It feels like more than a kilo. Yeah. Th you know why? It's because of the, the distribution of it. So with one of those arms, all the weight is in the hook at the end. Right. So you could imagine... The hook, by the way, is made out of steel? I think that's just straight up steel, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's thick, it's heavily engineered. And you can imagine you're wearing something on your limb, and so the further that weight is away from your limb, the heavier it feels. Yeah. And with normal prosthetics, all the weight is right on the end. Whereas with ours, we tried to just distribute it over your limb so that the perceived weight, is what we talk about, is, is much less. Um, because 
even certain things that we'd only learned from talking to actual people who use these prosthetic devices, you learn to challenge your assumptions. When we were in uni looking at how do we design a prosthetic arm, the specs were saying, okay, well, a, a human hand weighs about 400 grams, so you can't make a prosthetic hand weigh more than 400 grams. You're like, that makes sense. That's sensible. But our hands weigh nothing. They don't weigh anything because they're attached to us. So the perceived weight is zero. So the target isn't 400 grams, it's zero. And you only get that from talking to people, not, you know, reading journals. Yeah, exactly. So that's completely different. And, and prosthetics is, this is why I kind of fell in love with it. It's like, we started in university and we did what good students did, like talk to academics, read your papers, do stuff online, made what we thought was good. And then we got introduced to probably my favorite guy in the world, Alex Lewis, who, aside from being a designer and adventurer, is a cool dude. Okay, so tell us, just tell us about Alex Lewis, who he is, what he's done. So he has lost both of his arms and both of his legs. How? So he contracted sepsis after a long battle with strep A um, that he caught from a cold and in, over the course of a few weeks um, descended rapidly and, and had to lose it. And that was about seven years ago. And what, what, what did he do before that? So before that, he had multiple businesses with his wife. He was in hospitality, mainly. Okay, how old um, is he? He's, I need to find his exact age, but I don't think he'd forgive me saying it anyway. So. <laughs> but, but I mean, but, 50s, 40s? Oh God, no, no, no. It's a bit older than me. He's like... Uh, Late I think, 20s or 30s. In fact, I think he just had his 40th, but okay. I'm going to check that. <laughs> he doesn't look a day over 25. <laughs> <laughs> Is what I would say. Okay, and so, he, so when he was in, what, his early 30s, he just was suddenly struck by this cold that escalated. Yeah, absolutely. And he was sort of shocked to let because like me coming from the outside of prosthetics industry looking at what you see on tv you kind of think prosthetics are solved we've got great technology we've got all this stuff and when he was thrust into it he suddenly realized actually what i got given is not what he expected and went on a sort of journey of self-discovery around the world he went to america to try and find how can i look after myself for prosthetics long term and they told him Oh, no problem. Life quote for your prosthetics, about three million pounds. And so suddenly he's like, Whoa. So who pays for that? Who the hell pays for that? Exactly. Um, and so he set up the Alex Lewis Trust, which is just essentially dedicated to doing everything he can to raise the money to sustain himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and through that, he does loads of charity work with us, you know, um, with other foundations as well. And he's been doing that ever since. He does like talks and does all kinds of inspirational things. If you heard him chat, you'd be captivated. He's... And how did you two meet each other? So uh, our university supervisor, just sort of an off-the-cuff remark, um, was like, oh, you know, I, we know someone who uses prosthetics. Would you like to meet him? And I'm just like, yeah, you need, we need to. Like, how, otherwise, how can we design this? Um, and so glad I did. That's when everything change from us being like, oh, let's make a, a cool prosthetic thing with electronics to suddenly like, oh, let's just make something for you. Because what he was asking for was wildly different from what we'd heard. He wasn't asking for more technology or, or singing or dancing bells and whistles or anything like that. He was just saying, guys, I'm wearing this all day long. Make it really comfy and make it something that I can just pick up and use straight away. So I don't have to train for months to use and make it something that if I want to get a different one. Like I want a blue one. I want to play golf. Like I can just go and buy it myself. I don't have to beg for money or fundraise and quit my job and just mm-hmm. dedicate my life to trying to afford it. And as four young students at the time, we're like, hey, those problems sound simpler than the ones we're reading about. Like we can do something about that. And so, so four of you designed something at university for him? Yeah, so this was, again, 
way before the idea of a company even came about, we essentially being engineers purely just worked from first principles. So we didn't know what the state of the art was. We didn't know how to make rigid carbon fiber sockets. So we're like, we won't even bother. We'd, we'd figure out a different way. What made sense to us was, um, you know, if we're wearing these things and they're functional, they're kind of like clothes. So let's look at functional clothes. Let's look at like shin pads and sportswear and, and trainers. Mm-hmm. Surely some of these problems we're trying to yeah, tackle have been solved before. Yeah, I can before. see shin pads in that. Yeah, exactly. I can yeah. see that's what it, I, was, what I was struggling to describe <laughs> the, what, what that substance was. But it's like, it, actually, it's like the, in a football shin pad, it's like the stuff you get around the ankle. Yeah, exactly. So the, the, the shin pad's normally made of plastic, but there's a slightly more hard, fabric-y substance that they put around your ankle. And that's that's no accident. It's because very often we do two things when we're when we're you know if someone with limb difference calls us up and it's like here's what I want to work through, here's what I'm trying to do. We don't try and reinvent the wheel. We immediately go away and think, okay, where else has this problem been solved? And you know, wearing something comfortable that's also reinforced. We just looked at things that already exist mm. doing that and trying to bring those together. And often, if you do that, you get something that is one it works well because it's already been tried and tested. And it happens to be really affordable and really simple to make and get to people. And that's pretty much our mantra ever since. (laughs) Now, I will say this. I'm known to be extremely critical of university and how useless it is. But what you've just described is an example of when universities are good. Yeah, okay, good. (laughs) Of what university is for. You know, and so the four of you were students together, and how long? Then you set up this med tech company shortly after university. Sure. So I mean, it's funny you say that because Alex is like partner in the trust, Rosemary. She said something to me on like the last day of us testing this first device, and it really stuck with me. And she basically said like, "These projects are awesome, and we work with students all the time, and they always come up with really good stuff. This included, but the students move on and do other things, and the project gets." put in a cupboard somewhere. I can't explain how many amazing, genuinely life-changing things I saw on PhD students' desks or in drawers at my uni. And it's like... Unrealized prototypes. Yeah, why are you doing something with this? And it's because ah, I moved on. So that stuck with me. I was like, that's just rubbish. No, we've got we to gotta carry this on. We've got to do it. Yeah. And um, obviously, you know, you need resources, you need other people. And it turns out that's what our company is. So we're like, let's set up a company. So the same, so it's the same four guys who came up with the original design who set up the company. No, funny enough, to Rosary Point, they all moved on. <laughs> so it's just you. <laughs> so it's just me. It was just me. I tried to rope in my housemate at one point, and then he moved on to other things. And then while I was at Imperial, I basically applied to every entrepreneurial competition I could find. Yeah. They're really good for that. They've got so many. Um and just pitched the idea. I was like, I want to make these, like shoes. And and I was lucky enough to win an, enough prize money that I had just enough to do everything I need for the company. So like file a patent, um, do tests. Um, I had just enough money to do that and like like eat beans for a year and move home. And like, <laughs> so I was like, I'd regret it not, so why not? And then, um, and then carried on working on the product, doing loads of tests, and then um, came together with Alex and a bunch more team that we met mostly through university, through Imperial. Most of our design engineers are from Imperial and set up Koala last year. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or whatever app it is that you listen to your podcasts on or follow us on Spotify so you never miss an episode. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. 
At Ori Clark, we understand that many of our clients want to be better informed about the issues they face, but don't have the time to wade through all of the legalese and accounting jargon to get there. We know that people love our easy-to-read quick guides on the most common problems facing our clients, and if you're here, then you probably like podcasts. So we thought, why not combine the two and make it even easier for people to access the knowledge of our team of multidisciplinary experts? Recently, Dominic Frisby sat down with Andy Ory and James Pleece to talk about tax reliefs. R&D stands for Research and Development. The scheme is the government's way of supporting companies which are engaged in certain activities they really want to encourage. It's one of the most generous schemes around. Uh, There's technically two schemes, but they operate in fundamentally the same way. Uh, Each one gives you a certain portion of your costs you spend on qualifying activities back. Back in cash. Yes, back in cash. That's important to note. In your bank account, (laughs) surprisingly. So if I spend £100 on R&D, I will get £33 back for one of them and £10 back for the other one. So the way it works is the government basically says for every pound you spend on R&D, for tax purposes, you can treat it as £2.30. For your deduction in your tax return. And then they say if you've got any losses after this, you can apply a fixed rate and we'll give you cash at that rate. You can find our audio quick guides in the resource library at auriclark.com or search for Ori Clark Quick Guides wherever you get your podcasts. I started wittering on before the interview started about how the problem with a lot of young startups is that they don't make any money and therefore they can't afford <laughs> um, high-quality lawyers and solicitors, <laughs> the sort of ones that you find working for Ori Clark. And uh, and then you turned around and said, oh, well, actually, we do make money. Yeah. So tell us about, I mean, I'm not asking how much money you make, but the fact that you're profitable so early in your evolution is is unusual. Should we talk about that? Yeah, it's been a journey. So we started out straight out of uni, being an engineer, thought the thing we need to solve is just make a cool product and we'll put it online and people will come and buy it and and then job done. If only it was so easy. If only. <laughs> <laughs> so we spent ages doing that. Um, and that was the first team that came together. That was the funding we got to do. And we spent maybe a year doing that. And it just wasn't taking off. It wasn't taking off. And then that was the end of 2019. We did a big test where we gave it to 66 people across the country, like adults, babies. Um, and they were like, the product's cool, but you know, what if I grow out of it? What if I need a slightly different design? What if I need this? How do I know which one's right for me? Can you show me someone else that's using it? Like, basically, people were asking us for lots of things that were surrounding it, like a supporting service. And it just sort of clicked. It was like, the problem isn't just the products. The problem is also how you access prosthetic services in general. And then this coincided and completely cascaded with a global pandemic at the start of last year, where this problem was magnified a, a, a thousandfold because every clinician was working on COVID. They weren't in prosthetic centers. Mm-hmm. People didn't want to travel. So you couldn't go to a prosthetic center even if you wanted to. And many people with limb difference have other underlying health conditions. So they're the ones that are told to stay at home. And so the result was no one had access to any prosthetic service. And we kind of realized that by having a device that's built like clothing, it allowed you to treat it like clothing and do everything online and have an online support service. So have people with limb difference on the phone that can just answer your questions, match you to the device, and then we can just post it to you. And something obviously worked because we got approached by um, a number of the limb loss charities in the UK who basically said, look, can we use our network, raise the funds, and then 
get these devices to all the children in the, in the country that need them, that, that can't otherwise. And so it's been a complete meeting of minds because we started this to, you know, just do more together. And in this kind of time, that's, that's what we've done. And because that, because the devices are easy to make, we can get it to everyone and do it as a sustainable business. And that's, you know, even at a small scale, which is quite cool. So even though we're a year in, it's, you know, it's viable. Which is <laughs> really there's, a, cool. there's quite a well-known old French economist called Frederic Bastiat, and he used to complain that the the problem with a lot of economics and and politics and so on is that they only measure the effect of what you can see. They never measure the effect of what you can't see. And he his example was broken window theory. So if 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 I went and throw a, a brick through somebody's window and I break the window, that's actually good for the economy apparently because the person who owns the window then has to go and hire a glazer and the gla- yeah. glazer manufactures the window and the glazer makes money and so on. And he said, well, if that was true, then all we would do all day is go around smashing windows because that would be good for the economy. <laughs> it's obviously bollocks. And But what goes on in that equation is you measure the benefits of somebody fixing somebody's window, but you don't measure what that guy would have spent that money on had he not had to fix the window. He would have, you know, he might have reinvested it in his own business or he might have spent it on a restaurant or whatever he would have spent it on. And we've seen that like mad with COVID. You've, you, you say, oh, the government's done this, that and the other and it's had this effect and it's had this much benefit. But there's so many undescribed, untold losses that have gone got told that we haven't heard about. Yeah. And one of the things you had me think about there was, you know, people, I've never heard that term limb differences, but people with limb differences, we can discuss where that term originates from, but people with limb differences must have been one of the biggest victims yeah. of lockdown. Yeah. You know, people, they've measured how many lives lockdown have saved, but they haven't measured how, how much damage to people lockdown did. And unable to to mix with their normal communities when probably for a lot of them, that's all they've got and stuck at home without their full working bodies. It must've been incredibly difficult for them. It's incredibly scary. I mean, the stories I heard, and this is like March, 2020. So right when things hit our shores, I was getting emails and phone calls from all over the world of people saying, I had lost both my hands. My hands were in the clinic. They were about to like, I was about to go get them back but they've shut down. They don't know when they're open again. I literally can't do anything. Can you help me? And and you're like, oh my gosh, like how would people know about that? It's such a niche thing, but it's because it's niche, yeah. there's not enough support systems to look after these folk. And so that's why, you know, it's kind of just a privilege to be able to, in that situation, say, actually, yeah, we can send you something. We've got people you can talk to. That's exactly why we're here. I'm glad you found us. But scary how many people... We haven't yet. And where does that term limb differences come from? It's This is part of, I mean, we were searching at the start for ages for what the proper term is. You know, like, because uh, it's so niche, it hasn't been branded particularly well. There's no good words to describe it. For ages, I was saying amputee. Yeah. And then someone quite rightly pointed out to me, was like, oh, why only amputees? As in, who have you had an arm some amputated? People are, some just, people are, are born this way. I'm yeah. like, oh, I didn't even... I didn't even think about that. Thank you for pointing out. But the term I really like is is limb differences because it doesn't talk about disabled or lacking anything. It's just different. And and honestly, when you meet like Alex or you meet people like this, especially kids, they haven't lost anything, especially kids because they've never known what it was to have both Mm -hmm. hands. They can do everything you and I can do. So they're not disabled. They just do it in a different way. I like it. I really like it. 
think <laughs> I think it's a really lovely way to describe it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's great that you're you're beginning to expose this and and show and highlight. Like, it is one of those things that you don't experience unless you've experienced it yourself mm. or come across it. So the next question I have on a percentage basis, are there more people in the first world with limb differences than in the developing world or third world, whatever you call it, or is it roughly the same? It's typically concentrated in lower income countries because healthcare is less awesome and people are more spread out and they access services less. But you'd be surprised. You'd be, I read a stat. So as a country's wealth increases, like their GDP increases, the amount of people with limb difference in that country by proportion also increases. It's quite counterintuitive. And it's because of GDP increasing, it's sort of a metric of normally standards of living are increasing. So you might not be like losing legs because of wars, but you're still losing limbs because of diabetes and trauma, like driving motorbikes around. But because the healthcare is better, because it's a better quality of living, those people don't die, they survive. Mm-hmm. So it's quite interesting. So India is a great case study as... They've always had lots of, of people with limb difference called a polio, for example. As the country gets richer and richer, as per proportion, that's going up because those people are no longer passing away. They're, fortunately, they're still around. Wasn't there a culture in India at some point of inflicting wounds on children because they earn, will earn more as beggars? These are the kind of social things we deal with. That's absolutely true. So... Certainly, so if we're doing stuff in Sierra Leone, for example, that's a you know, that's where during the Civil War they were literally removing people's arms as punishment, you know, as they walk through a village. But a lot of those people who have lost their limbs, their main source of income is begging on the streets, and you have to be really alive to that because you know, recognize what that means. That, that's that's how they make their money. So if you give them a prosthetic limb are they going to make as much money from begging if they don't look as needy? Then no. So there's other things at play there, which is kind of good because when we make prosthetic limbs, and when this is all part of why we market ourselves as a service, not as a product, because people's needs ebb and flow. So that person who's begging doesn't need a cosmetic hand all the time. They might need something to cook while they're at home. It's a tool. So we can get make them that. But if they take it off during the day to go do other stuff, great. That's how we all use tools. Nate, I want to talk about your heritage. Ah. Um, and where you have come from and how you have ended up where you have. It, it is not normal, I would say, whatever normal is. I'm not <laughs> sure what normal is. Started from the bottom now, here. Yeah. So, you know, how do you think that has helped you from where you've come from and where you are now? I was thinking about this earlier, actually, when I was, when I was writing it down. Um, I think, if anything, I've been really fortunate with, because I, so I grew up on a council estate, to a single mum who's, I love to bits, she's absolutely given me everything in life. Um, wouldn't be where I am without her. Um, and did it all on her own. And, but I've never really had stuff, which doesn't really, hasn't really affected me at all, other than I don't need stuff, you know? So I don't, I don't need lots of nice things or anything to, to be happy, which comes in useful for like when you're starting up a company, it's like, okay, I can, I'm literally eating beans for the next six months. That's all I can do. But I would say it's rare. Most people that start actually have support and some financial backing. So I take my hat off to you. That's actually true. Yeah, that is true. And actually, I mean, it's kind of like, uh, if if you don't have anything to, because I've always avoided like the plague trying to ask like 
friends, family for support like that because it blurs the lines. I like the idea of if you're building something, it should, if it's right and if it's good, it should eventually sustain itself. You should be creating and capturing more value than you're consuming. So it should go up. So I think it's helped to be like, I didn't have a pool of money I could dip into. So I had to scrip and scrape and, you know. But what drives you? Oh, I mean, again, this is me just being naive. But like, I, when I met Alex, I was sold the dream on being an engineer because, you know, your teacher's like, oh, be an engineer, you, they make things that help people's lives. And then I spent four years, well, I spent the first two years of uni like doing stress analysis in bolts. And I'm like, how is this? What am I, <laughs> what am I helping with this? <laughs> Working with Alex and just being like, I just want to so badly want to make something that you find useful. Even if I take like your day happiness from here to like one notch higher, I feel useful and like that in itself is everything and that's really nice because if there's nothing you can't take that away like you know like if if everything in Koala ended tomorrow we could you know there's still something we could do to help people and that, that's 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 what drives me you know? I mean it, it blows me away because I know when we were introduced someone said to me you're one of the nicest people they have ever met oh my and I think from from your story and where you came from and the fact that you've begun a startup you could choose to go and earn real money like serious money you you have the charisma you have the drive you have the determination and yet you have chosen to do this which I think is admirable right and I, I'm sure you have mates that are earning money and doing really well. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, one of the that the, like, people believe that when you have your own company, you earn loads of money. And typically, you earn nothing and often are not paid. Yeah. And everybody else gets paid and you, you, you're on the lease, if anything. Yeah. This is what people do not understand about setting up your own business and the sacrifices people make. I mean, whoever sets employment law, one of your mates, <laughs> Juliet, <laughs> and make all these demands, but they know it's never, they don't realize the sacrifices that the person that sets the business up in the first place makes. I mean, they, they I do don't often go with I believe in the employment law that we have. So I am totally opposed to, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think it's impossible. I think exactly what you're saying, Don. People have no concept of what it's like to run a business, yeah, I mean, run your own thing. They've got this idea thing. that just capitalists just sort of sit back in an armchair and smoke cigars and have everyone slaving oh, for them. It just is yeah. not like that at all. Well, people will look at Nate and be like, well, you've got your own business. You must have <laughs> loads of money. And, you know, you go by the round and it's like, I have got nothing. Yeah, oh my gosh. It's like, that's one of the things that, um, so it's like, so it's like at the setting up phase of, of what we're doing, going to lots of like entrepreneurial events and you meet all these speakers and all this kind of thing. And and that is one of them. And like when you talk to people, probably eight out of the ten people I, I would speak to who are also starting up something, I'd be like, you know, what, you know, why, why, why are you doing this? The same things like, you know, um, oh, I just want to be my own boss. I just want to have lots of free time. I want to you know, have, you know, disposables like, why are you start why are you starting a company then? Go get a go get another job. Like there's so many easier ways to get rich than, yeah. than be on someone else's payroll. Yeah. And and so it's, I'm always really bad on podcasts when they're like, what's your advice for someone who's starting something out? Because it's almost like my my advice is like, do you really want it? Like 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 think about it, do you really want to? Is it worth all the 
the late nights, the sleepless nights. Like, are you so in love with the problem you're solving that you have to start this up? And there's literally no guarantee that you'll get anything at the end of it. And there's no guarantee. Like at least when you get a job, you know you're going to get your pension or something or promotion. But when you're doing your own business, there is no guarantee of anything. And that's what it's, it's like. Do you have to start this up? Because if you're not sure, if you're like umming and ahhing, like, ah, is it that important? Then you're, you're going to come across a lot of hard things. That... What does your mum think about this? <laughs> Bless my mum. <laughs> she, I, I think she's really proud. My big brother is quite a cool dude. So I think he's done a lot of the success before me. He's my idol. So like he's, he's a civil engineer and he does like search and rescue around the world. So, so he'll come up and be like, oh, I just pulled some people from buildings and I'll call up and be like, mum, I want a grant. She's like, oh yeah, cool. Well, <laughs> <laughs> what else is happening? But your mum bought both of you up and both of you have done really well. Yeah, I hope she's chuffed. I hope she... <laughs> I'd be super bloody proud. <laughs> I mean, I think it's bloody impressive and I think it's amazing. So you're changing I know sometimes when you and I speak, you tell me stories, and I know that's one of your motivations, is seeing the impact that, that your products have. Yeah, you can't, back to what you're saying about like, you can't quantify things. Certainly with lots of medical products, the way a clinical system will quantify things is like, you know, how much faster did you walk this? Or, you know, how, how quicker did you do this task? But the things we see are like, you know, someone signed their name for the first time in six years and they couldn't do that. Or or like a child took it to school because she was really like excited to show her friends about her arm. It's like, how can you how can you quantify that? That's like, you know. You literally can't. You can't measure it. And and that's the stuff that doesn't matter how bad a day you're having. You see one video and you're like, oh, I have the best job in the world. <laughs> so I'm guessing that historically on prosthetics, it's all been about technology, right? Yeah. And robotics yeah. and, and, you know, being able to move and do. You're looking at, okay, let's have multiple limbs, like I want a wardrobe of glasses, but anyway. <laughs> let's have multiple limbs for all different things, right? Precisely. But will you then have robotics within that like it yeah why not so we our first our first crack at this was trying to make a bionic hand because that's what we thought we should do the really glib thing is it's, it's actually really easy to do because all the technology like all the sensors that that pick up your muscle signals are like decades old these things are off the shelf you can buy a pair for like a few quid all the motors that control the hands you know We've had so many decades of motor generation, you can get really strong little ones. And it's essentially just arranging it into a pan that looks like a hand. It's actually, so you know, to get an idea of how easy it is, four undergraduate students could do it in the course of six months. So, and it was, it was like stronger than the market leading hand. It was, it was actually, it wasn't great. I designed the hand. It wasn't so, it was, it was so strong that it would break itself. Like it would, you'd tell it to grip and it would grip and then it would like snap itself in half. <laughs> it's like, okay, dial it down a little bit. Um, but we started with that. I spent six months making this. It wasn't. Go- I was going to say gorgeous. Is that well, it wasn't gorgeous. It was really hideous. But like the mechanics of it was quite cool. And we specifically made it so it would be very light and uh, hold like pens and do office work because Alex wanted to do office work. He just wanted to design again. So like it's just going to hold pens. That's really teeny detail. No, human it's really... hand. It's freaking amazing. It's so cool. And so I couldn't quite get it to hold a pen. So I went on Amazon, got a bag of uh, little plastic pen clips for like three pounds, put one on the palm, clipped the pen, and then the fingers came around it, gave it to Alex, he used it, and he was like, Nate, this is great. And I'm like, oh, 
what do you like most about it? He's like, this pen clip is amazing. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 Alex, look at the fingers. Look at how all this mechanism. He's like, I don't need any of that. I don't so he literally got a pen clip off Amazon and just clipped it inside the hand. And that solved all the problems. He was like, I hold the pen. It's super light. I love it. I was like, but the, but the, the fingers. What, how does the pen clip cost? 10p or something? <sighs> About 50 pence for one of these things. And that's, and it's like, it was like a penny dropped. It was like. I love it. I love it when the simple everyday solution to something is just staring you right in the face. Yeah. All you've got to do is have the imagination to take that and stick it somewhere else. I love when I see something I hadn't seen before. Like I love an assumption being just like destroyed in front of my eyes. Like I'd thought a hand was the best thing. And then so quickly and eloquently Alex would be like, I don't need it. I just need this. I'm like, oh, wow. I see it now. Oh, I'm what, such an hours idiot. Hours and weeks yeah, and months like, of oh, work. I could have slept. So I didn't need to. <laughs> so, so literally, all he wanted was the pen clip. All he wanted was the pen clip. And so he so, didn't need the whole, all the fingers and everything. He didn't need fingers and any of that. <laughs> and that completely informed how we look at things. So, what's the dream? What's going to happen? I think I touched on it earlier a little bit. Actually, where it's for me, the reason we set it up and what I'm excited about is reaching people who have had no opportunity to use a prosthetic or, or, or do things they want to do before. So going to other countries that normally are really hard to work in, like Sierra Leone, like Sub-Saharan Africa, like South America. So the more countries we're in, that's what I'm excited about. I want to be in more countries than the UN. That would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. If there was one thing in the world you could change over the next five years, what would it be? This might be a bit philosophical, but it's just only because I was having a conversation the other day. I, like, I wish human nature would kind of shift a bit from, and I kind of hoped that COVID did it a little bit of like, instead of being focused on just your own self as an island, being a bit more focused on the community as a whole. I kind of would like to just see that shift a bit. Because I think there's good things happen when that happens, you know? I mean... Um, Koalas had so much love and support. And I do think it's because at its heart, we're trying to give love and support to other people. And so it comes around. So Nate, we like to ask people, can you give us any key words or phrases that define what business means to you and what bullshit means to you? I mean, business, I, the first thing that comes to mind is like spreadsheets and finance. But I actually think what business means is it's people and... I sort of see business as like the way we can have like really nice clothes and a PlayStation and cars is because I can't make all that myself, but there's someone who's awesome at making cars and they made a whole business to make awesome cars and I might be good at something else and, and we sort of trade that and that's how we have a cool life. So yeah, people and being the master of your domain. Nice. <laughs> and what about bullshit? What do you consider is bullshit? You know, I think it's bullshit is idolizing people like Steve Jobs and Elon Musk. And now, now, don't get me wrong, I've watched every one of their videos on YouTube. But I think idolizing the mentality of there's one visionary who's headstrong and doesn't take no for an answer and it's them or nothing is wrong. Because I think if you talk to those people, they'd say, oh, no, hell no, it was the team. There was a team of us. I gave a little, they gave a little. I was wrong a lot of the time. They were wrong a lot of the time. I, you know, it's a team. So I, don't, I don't like the single visionary narrative <laughs> I think that's a bit yeah silly. we're all standing on the shoulders of giants yeah of course yeah and Nate if people want to find out more about you and what you do and Koala can you tell us how they should do that oh yeah so there's probably two things if you 
want to support us in any way or you know someone with limb difference, send them our way to www.yourkoala. That's koala with two A's at the end for reasons, uh, .com. Um, How do you spell that? Uh, so Y-O-U-R yeah. and then K-O-A-L-A-A.com. Okay. Um, but also, I mean, the charity initiative I mentioned is called Project Limitless. So that's a bit separate. Um, but it's essentially just trying to get a, a, a prosthetic limb, a soft prosthetic limb to every child in the UK and then eventually beyond. So if you want to, um, if you've got a spare 50p kicking around, I would throw it over to them and you can find the links to our website. So just go to the same website, follow the banner at the top. and, and Tell us the name of that website again. www.yourkoala, with two A's at the end, .com. And the charity? Uh, the charity is Douglas Bader Foundation and oh, Alex Lewis okay. Trust. Yeah. The Douglas Bader Foundation. Right. Thank you very much, Nate. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show. A superb interview, I thought. And a reminder, Juliet, that we must celebrate our differences. Indeed, oh, Dom. I love Indeed. that. I love that. Guys, thank you. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, Thank you, dear listener, uh, for listening. Um, if you like the show, please give us a nice review on iTunes or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. We'll be back with another episode soon. And remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. It's at biz without BS, B-I-Z without BS, where you'll find more helpful business content. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel by searching for us using the hashtags biz without BS, that's B-I-Z without BS, or Ori Clark, O-U-R-Y, Clark. Until then, goodbye. Business Without is brought to you by Ori Clark. We've been helping individuals and businesses cut through red tape in order to prosper since 1935. To find out how our team of multidisciplinary experts can help you, whatever your needs, email us at contact at oriclark.com. That is contact at O-U-R-Y-C-L-A-R-K dot com or via our website. Ori Clark, you provide the questions, we'll give you an answer.